First Peter chapter 2 and verse 12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. I think he's using Gentile here in more than just the idea of all the non-Jews. I think it's more of the idea of the, the unbeliever, all the, uh, those who are not believers in Christ. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds as they observe them, there's the point, they, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So, excellent deeds to be observed by uh, those who are not Christians, which ultimately is to bring glory to God. Why don't we pray here before we go on. Father, we ask that you would teach us from this verse the importance of our walk in terms of glorifying you before a watching world. We ask for your Holy Spirit now to help. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the verse tells us that we're to keep our behavior excellent among the lost so that false accusations and slanders, things that are said against us and against Christianity, will be shown to be untrue. In other words, our lives will give a lie to those distortions of Christianity. Um, Peter is saying that our whole way of life should show forth the love and the truth and the justice and the goodness and the beauty of Christianity. Uh, and as a, consequence, the, uh, as a consequence, the slanders that the heathens make against Christianity will be shown to be false. What kind of slanders would those things be? Well, they're slandering us, it says, as evildoers. Now, back in the early church, amazingly enough, some of the things that were brought against uh, the first Christians... You just can't even believe they were brought against them. For instance, some people were claiming that they were cannibals, that Christians were cannibals. And the reason for that was they had some distorted uh, word or thought about what goes on in what we call the Lord's Supper, uh, the communion. And so word got around that somehow we were eating someone's body, the Christians were at their meetings. And um, another thing was, of course, this one comes out clearly in the scriptures at Ephesus. Uh, the Christians were there to upset the economy. Uh, you know, they preached against idols and that caused a problem for the silversmiths and those who made idols. So we were upsetting the, the economy of, of the nation, of various nations. Um, amazingly enough, Christians were actually accused of atheism. Um, that was because they wouldn't worship the Roman gods and goddesses, and they wouldn't worship uh, the emperor. Uh, 
which was required at certain times there in, in early Christianity. Um, it was one of the main, actually atheism was one of the main accusations against the early Christians because they rejected the Roman gods and goddesses. Um, now, this was a serious matter for uh, the Roman people because they believed that these deities would bring good fortune to a town if you did the right thing. And if you did the wrong thing, you'd bring down the wrath of these various uh, gods and goddesses. So, if things were going bad for uh, a city or a nation, well, what's that mean? Well, you've offended the gods. Well, what would offend the gods more than these Christians saying these gods aren't even gods? They don't exist. They're, f they're fabrications. So, people said this Christians, you know, if there was some national, uh, natural disaster, well, that was the Christians' fault. Now, Tertullian, who was an early Christian, put it this way. He said, if the Tiber reaches the walls, if the Nile does not rise into the fields, if the sky doesn't move or the earth does, if there's a famine, if there is a plague, the cry is at once, Christians to the lions. In other words, whatever happens, whatever plague or problem that comes, they could always blame it on the Christians because they're, they're atheists. They're not worshiping the proper gods. And then there was, uh, right along with that, the accusation of disloyalty to the government. You can see why Paul brings out uh, to be in submi submission or subjection to the authorities so often because this was one of the things that was being, they were being accused of, uh, the idea of disloyalty to the government because they wouldn't worship Caesar. So they were considered to be insurrectionists almost because of the fact that they wouldn't call Caesar Lord. And uh, also that they had to meet in secret, so that caused uh, accusations uh, that they were plotting against the state. So those were some of the type of things that were uh, the, the slander that was being brought against the Christians. They were being slandered as evildoers um, in the early church. Well, those are ancient accusations, but we have similar things today. Not the same ones, exactly, but just as outlandish. So here's the gospel, the gospel of love and kindness and goodness that we have as Christians. What's one of the things that the accusations against Christians? We're unloving. We're bigoted. We're intolerant. We're hateful uh, because we take a stand on moral issues. Um, we're... Here's a, here's a newer one. We're homophobic. Uh, you know, we got some great paranoia uh, against homosexuals. Or we're unintelligent. Or we're hypocrites. I mean, those are just some of them. Uh, the Christians, you'll find out uh, if you read certain books that we're responsible for all the evils of Western culture. Uh, greed, slavery colonialism, pollution, uh, that's all our, our problem. I mean, that, we've caused that um, in one way or another. And I think that uh, really what we'll see as the days go on here, we're going to see more and more of this. Uh, when I was a younger guy, uh, it was still somewhat uh, fashionable, you might say, social, 
are socially accepted to be a Christian. That's getting less and less true in America. And you'll see more slanders and more false accusations being directed toward the, the, the Christian. So, um, I think it, it'll get to, it may get to the place where, where uh, Tertullian was back in the second century. You know, whatever happens, it's the Christian's fault. If it, if it rains or it doesn't rain. Um, whatever natural disaster. Anyway, uh, the point is that uh, how are we supposed to handle this? Um, how does Peter say we should deal with these slanders? Well, um, he says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Um, a little bit later on, we didn't read the whole section here, but if you skip down to verse 15, for, he says, For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. These are ignorant things that are being said about Christianity. And they're foolish. They're made by foolish men. <coughs> some of these books by these present-day atheists, some of the accusations and things they say, are, are they're just foolish. But nevertheless, he says, the way to deal with it, it is that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Our lives, and these are, this is why I gave these various quotes in the poem to begin with, um, our lives are what will make the difference. They'll either confirm people in their wrong views of Christianity or demonstrate that Christianity is not at all like what they've been told. We're going to do one or the other. Our life is going to do one. Each of our lives is going to do one or the other. Either confirm uh, them in their wrong views or demonstrate that uh, what they've heard is not right. We should be, I think you could put it this way, we should be an advertisement for the gospel. An advertisement for the beauty and truth and reality of Christianity. One person said it uh, like this, he said, the real mark of a saint is that he or she makes it easier for others to believe in God. The real mark of a saint is that he or she makes it easy, easier for others to believe in God. Christ said this, you remember, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So our great challenge, if we are truly going to proclaim the excellencies, excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light, is that by our daily lives and conduct, we would commend Christ and Christianity to those who do not believe. Our daily lives should commend Christ to those who do not believe. We're called to exhibit God's existence and His character before a watching world. His existence and character by those who see us. That would, you know, that would include His holiness. Our lives should exhibit something of God's holiness. 
Our lives should exhibit something of His love. Our lives should exhibit His justice. And our lives should exhibit His mercy. Day by day, throughout uh, our lives, those things should be coming forth and showing forth the reality of God's character and existence. I wanted to quote from Francis Schaeffer here from a book called The Church Before the Watching World. He said, We are to show forth the love of God and the holiness of God simultaneously. If we show either of these without the other, we exhibit not the character, but a caricature of God for the world to see. So he's saying if we just have one or the other, it's not really showing forth the character of God. Uh, If we stress the love of God without the holiness of God, it turns out only to be compromise. But if we stress the holiness of God without the love of God, we practice something that is hard and lacks beauty. And it is important to show forth beauty before a lost world and a lost generation. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are called upon to show a watching world and to our own young people in the church something beautiful. So, both the love of God and the holiness of God. The point then, I think, the main thing that we're aiming at here is just the reality of the fact that there's a tremendous witness that goes out and goes forth uh, from a loving, holy life. Walking in love and holiness before people is a tremendous witness. And uh, just another quote from Alexander McLaren, lost people read us a great deal more than they read the Bible. Um, They're just not going to read the Bible, but they're reading us all the time. They're seeing us all the time. So, consequently, Peter says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. The Greek word there for uh, excellent has the idea of noble, lovely, winsome, gracious, and it would include uh, a humble love of others, uh, courage to do the right thing and say the right thing, uh, generous giving, joyful simplicity, uh, peacefulness uh, in difficult situations, and uh, submission to proper authority. All that, all those things fall into this thing of keeping your behavior excellent. So, godly living is essential to evangelism. And uh, that goes out into every area of our life. And I thought I would just uh, take one area in particular, and that is on the job, our, our witness at work. And uh, I have, I think, six here, six things that would be uh, a witness at work, proclaiming God's truth on the job. First of all, you do a good job for people. You, you just purpose to do a good job. Excellent products, excellent service, uh, excellent attitude shows forth something of the excellence and greatness of our God. 
as a Christian. That's something we should be concerned about. So just do a good job for people. The second would be uh, to be honest. Have a, a standard of integrity that you hold to and that shows forth God's integrity and His holiness. Uh, a third thing would be a genuine care about people. When you're at work, you don't just just do your job you, because there's more going on than just that work. There's constant interactions with people. And so to show forth something of God's care and love for people, you need to love people at work. <clears throat> Uh, another area would be uh, stewardship. That is, you, how, do, how do you use the money that you earn at your job? People are aware of that. They're kind of watching. I think they do watch if, you, if they know that you're a Christian. They want to see if you have a, <clears throat> uh, a different way of using your money than the world does. So, are you using what you earn consistent with the profession of faith that you make and not just on a selfish lifestyle. And then fifth would be just being ready to give an answer to those who ask about the hope that's in you. Uh, especially in a job situation, you're going to have people that complain or are in difficulties and grumbling and, and uh, not... Uh, happy with the situation, that's an opportunity for you to be different and to show hope in situations that aren't that pleasant sometimes. And so uh, just being able to show that uh, you're different by not being a grumbler and a complainer is, I think, uh, a... Uh, area that we can make a difference at work. Now, uh, I mean, it gives an opportunity to tell people about the hope that's in you. Why aren't you like I am? Why aren't you like this other person that's all bent out of shape uh, because of what's happening in the world or what's happening on the job? And you have the opportunity to speak to them about uh, the grace and goodness of God. That doesn't mean that you... Uh, well, let me put it this way. You have to be careful not to uh, use the time when you should be working to supposedly be telling people about Christ. I mean, you have to do your appointed duty at work and uh, not uh, try to uh, get out of work by, well, I have something more important. I need to talk with people about the Lord. Actually, you're not going to convince unbelievers of the validity of Christianity if they have to do your work for you so that you can talk to them about how Christ came to serve other people. It just won't, something won't fit there. <clears throat> so you have to be careful about that. And that, that kind of goes into the last one. Don't be lazy. I mean, that should be obvious, but it doesn't, there's a lot in the Bible about that. And the, Probably the reason is that we have a tendency to be lazy. Especially the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about this thing of laziness. And I just wanted to take a few of them and kind of apply them to the work situation. <clears throat> Proverbs 10.26 says, 
like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is a lazy one to those who send him. Now, you could apply that in a work situation that your, your supervisor, your employer sends you to do something, but you're lazy. You don't do it. Now, how are you going to witness to that supervisor or uh, employer? If you do, what it will be like, it will be like smoke in the eyes. They're not going to like it because they sent you to do a job. You were lazy and didn't do it, and then you turn around and try to talk to them about Christianity. That's just it'll be like vinegar on the teeth or smoke in the eyes to that person. Uh, here's another one. This is Proverbs 18.9. He also who is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Slackness in work is compared to destroying. Well, how would that be at work? Well, a lazy worker, worker is similar to one who would destroy a company's products or reputation. Um, so being slack at work is similar to destroying things. Um, another one, Proverbs 21, 25, and 26. The desire of the sluggard puts him to death for his hands refuse to work. All day long he is craving, while the righteous gives and does not hold back. A, right, a, uh, a lazy person, a sluggard, wants things that others have, but they refuse to work for them. I think that's one of the reasons this gambling thing is so big. People want something for nothing. Uh, on the other hand, the diligent has things to give when there's a genuine need. And people re see that. I mean, it's a witness to people where you, you're trying to get something from them or you're a person that has been diligent enough that they can, you can actually give in in situation where there's a need. And then uh, lastly, this is uh, Proverbs 24, 30 through 34. I pass by the field of a sluggard and by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. When I saw or reflected upon it, I looked and I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And I think the idea there is a little too much, a little too much sleep, a little too much slumber. Because, you know, we have to have sleep, we have to have some slumber, and I don't think there's wrong to fold the hand sometimes, but it's the idea of too much of that, uh, then your poverty will, will come as a robber and your want like an armed man. So our, the way we keep ourselves, the way we keep our home, the way we keep our, our property reflects on uh, God. It's a witness. Uh, it doesn't mean you have to have a bunch of fancy things. Your home doesn't have to be fancy. Your, your, your property, your wall, as they talk about here, uh, and the stone wall, doesn't have to be fancy. But it should be well kept. It should be maintained because it's a witness to the world, whether you're a, a sluggard or a diligent person, a testimony. So all of these just all come back to the main thing as far as... Uh, Laziness. Laziness is a poor testimony to the world.
So anyway, those are some things related to, to this, just this area of the job. Our desire then should be that we would live in such a way that the people that observe our lives would, because of what they see in us, glorify God in the day of visitation. That should be our desire, that people could look at us and glorify God, as it says here, in the day of visitation. <clears throat> now, that brings a small problem, and that is, what is this day of visitation? <clears throat> that they may, on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. I'm going to give you three possibilities, and I think you can pick the one that you like the best, because I'm not sure which one is right. <clears throat> this day of visitation, what is it? Well, it could be the time when God visits a lost sinner and saves them. He comes into their lives and changes them. Uh, and He does that through the witness of, of, another Christ, of a Christian's life and uh, brings them to salvation because of what they've seen. And there's many examples of of uh, that type of thing. I was just reading one today. I should have, I should have photocopied it and brought it. But this, this <clears throat> young lady who had become a Christian uh, was telling another person about why, or how, you know, why it was she accepted Christ. And uh, actually, as she was telling, telling about it, the man noticed these slash marks on her hand. And, and he said... Uh, had you tried to kill yourself? And she said, yeah, many times. And he said, well, you know, if you really want to kill yourself, you, you could have. Why didn't you? And what made the difference? Why are you here now as a Christian? She said, the difference was that I went to church one time and I saw the youth pastor who was married uh, go out. I, w I watched him as he left the meeting and there wasn't anybody else in the parking lot. And he went around and opened the door on the car for his wife. And she said, I knew God must be real. <laughs> Just something simple like that. I knew there was more to life than what I'd seen, the, the, the selfishness. And I'm getting in trouble on this one right there. <laughs> Anyway, that was the account. Uh, she had been abused as a child and had just written off that there could ever be any real love between a man and a woman. And when she saw that, she just said, There's, there must be real love in the world. And uh, that was what God used to you know, bring her. So, uh, God can use uh, our life, our witness, to, uh, to bring a a person to salvation and that that may be I don't think this I don't think this is what he's talking about but it could possibly be the day of visitation when a person is is brought into the kingdom uh, and uh, God uses uh, another Christian to witness in terms of their life to witness to that person and bring them into the kingdom the, uh, the next possibility on this day of visitation would be the second coming of Christ on the day when, uh, when Christ comes again, 
there will be many there on that day of visitation glorifying God because they were convicted and convinced of the truth of Christianity by godly lives that Christians lived before them. So they will, uh, on account of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So that's the second possibility. Third possibility is this day of visitation is the day of judgment. Uh, and on that day of judgment, we'll find that even unbelievers admitting that God had given them a clear and real witness to His truth through the lives of Christians that they had seen. They'd seen their lives. They'd seen that there was a real difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. And they'll be, you might put it this way, they'll be forced to glorify God and acknowledge that they should have uh, accepted Him because of what they saw. Uh, forced to admit that they actually knew better because of the good conduct of God's people. Uh, so that's that's a possibility. Um, it says in chapter 4, verse 3, For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. And in all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dis dis dissipation, and they malign you. But they shall give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. In other words, they're going to give an account of the fact that they saw you didn't go along with all that stuff, and they knew there was something different about you, but they still didn't change. They still repressed that and suppressed that. So that's the third possibility. I'm inclined to think it's uh, somehow related to the second coming, uh, this day of visitation. But again, I'm not sure on that. You can think about those various possibilities. Well, let me give some concluding thoughts here and uh, then we'll be done. Um, the difficulties that we face, they may, it might be in the area of oppression or slander, are opportunities to bear authentic witness for Christ concerning the hope that we have in Him. And this is, uh, I think, something we should take away from this. He's talking about slander here and being slandered as evildoers. But, but he's also saying that this, is a, this makes for a good opportunity to show that you're, you're not like that, that you, there's a difference between you and the world. So difficulties, oppression, and slander are opportunities to bear authentic witness for Christ concerning the hope that we have in Him. If you turn over to chapter 3, in verse 13. I think the, these verses here fit well. Um, and who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense 
to everyone who asks you to give an account of the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, and keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, there's that word slander again, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So it's an opportunity, you see. I mean, we don't like those things to come our way, but it, nevertheless it is an opportunity that we might give an account of the hope that's in us. And then um, the second point I'd like to make here in closing is that our public effectiveness is largely based on our private relationship with God. Our public effectiveness is largely based on our private relationship with God. That's why he says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. That's, that's what matters. If you're sanctifying Christ as Lord in your heart, then these other things will come out. Of, uh, that'll be part of the overflow, the outflow of Christ in your heart. What we're, this walk that we're talking about that is a witness uh, out to the world. So our public effectiveness is largely based on our private relationship with God. <clears throat> and then, just as kind of a summation here, our behavior, this would be third, our behavior is to be such that it points people to the glory of God, not our own glory. Not our own glory. When we do these good works, uh, they bring glory to God who's in heaven, not glory to us. Um, and we're not trying to impress people with what we can achieve by our discipline and our determination and our dedication. That's not what we're trying to do. But what the God of grace has done for us and in us through Christ. And um, that's part of the place where uh, when people see that there's a difference in how we live, and if they ask us about it, that's when we can say, not, well, I just try harder than other people. <laughs> no. You can talk about the grace and goodness of God, and what's, what has made you different is Him, not something great in you. Uh, Paul said it this way in another place, concerning his labors for Christ, he said, not I but the grace of God with me. He said, you know, he said, I've labored more than you all. And it sounds like, well, that boy, Paul, you, you're a really good guy. He says, yeah, wait a minute. It's not I, but the grace of God with me. Um, so, we're not trying to draw people to any thought of us being superior what we want, pe want people to see is the superiority of Christ uh, and what he can do with a life that without him would be messed up, maybe more messed up than the people we're witnessing to. <clears throat> so, anyway, I'll close by just rereading the, the verse. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Why don't we pray here in closing? 
Father, we pray that you would help us by thy Spirit. We know we can't live in a way that brings glory to you apart from the work of your Holy Spirit uh, making us into people that can live that way. We ask that you would do that so that we could witness with our lives and our words what you can do, what grace can do. We just confess that we need your help in this uh, daily, at work, at home, um, wherever you have us, to just walk in a way that brings glory to you. Help us in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.